So hello everybody and welcome to the Innate Wisdom podcast. Um, it is my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Mark Howard, uh, who's with us today. He has um, had an illustrious career within the three principles. He has really brought this understanding, um, particularly in the area of addiction. Um, he's worked for decades um, in that particular field and really um, yeah, brought the three principles to that area. Um, I've also, from colleagues that I've, I've known, they've often spoken that he has taught them a great deal about listening. So that's something that I want to dive in with today as well, to have a look at listening. And, um, and Mark is also coaching other coaches and has trained many trainers, and he has been prolific over his career of you know, I, I saw that you've probably taught more than more than your fair share. Well, not your fair share, but taught more than most people um, in this particular yes. area. So, um, yeah, thrilled to to have you with us, and I'd love to dive straight in. Um, well, nice to be here, Anne. Beautiful, thank you. And compulsive thinking—that's you know, with the area of addiction. Yeah, that's to me has been the a real stumbling block for people. So how do you see compulsive thinking playing out? And, you know, is that the biggest stumbling block for people that are innocently caught up in, in that and the addictive behavior that that may create? You know, I think that um, to me, uh, looking at that area and what people get caught in, uh, I think people uh, get into thinking compulsively um, in that they're looking, for, um, they're looking for a better feeling than they're in is generally what I'm seeing mm -hmm. through the years is people are really searching for um, a, a, a better feeling. And um, so uh, we get kind of trapped in looking outside of ourselves for that source of of a better feeling. And uh, we keep thinking about it compulsively. Um, it could be anything that people can form a habit around. Not saying that the activity is bad, but people can use it in a way that really uh, uh, tr brings trouble for them. Um, so anything like shopping or video games or alcohol and so forth, people are, are using it compulsively or thinking about it compulsively to just feel better. And uh, most of the time when people do that, they have a different feeling. And so that looks like the answer to, to people. And so, um, so looking at compulsive thinking that way, um, it's coming from our human vulnerability to want to feel better and attribute feeling better to something we're doing um, that becomes uh, compulsive for us. Beautiful. So one of the questions that like I work in the, in the area of fertility and I can see that they have a lot of compulsive thinking. Um, it's, it's, it's usually about, you know, it, worrying about whether they'll fall pregnant and they get caught up in this compulsive thinking that's really not supporting them. So often the question I get asked is, how do I get out of this? How do I, if it's the compulsive thinking that's, you know, 
moving me into the direction I don't really want to go in? How do I get out of that? How do I let it go? Well, what I have found, you know, with this understanding that um, we're talking about in terms of um, the three principles is so the the way people can really uh, I, I like to call it transcend their compulsive thinking is really to gain an insight or realize um, that what th that um, what they're thinking about is uh, creating the experience they're having that they don't have to engage that thinking um, to find what they're looking for. So, um, you know, through my career early on before I came up on the three principles, there are many uh, approaches to compulsive thinking to help people um, find some strategies or methods to change that. What I have found honestly with uh, people and giving them methods and uh, strategies, just as an example, or like, even in this new popular approach of cognitive behavioral therapy, one of the things they talk about is untwisting your thinking. 15 ways to untwist your compulsive thinking. For example, what I have found is that first, <clears throat> not everybody gets that. Not everybody can really uh, uh, embrace a strategy or a method. If the method or strategy is successful, what I also find is it's not sustainable. It's not long lasting. So what I have seen is people really need to have an understanding of how their psychology works. And that, um, that, that we have a more freedom really to think any way we wanna think and we can recognize we're thinking in a way that isn't serving us um, and thereby, um, you know, look to some other way to think about life or the, think about their situation. And that comes from them. When, when people really get an insight that, that the feelings they're having and um, the experience they're having that is really just coming from the way they're using this, this wonderful gift of thought. When they realize that, have an insight, um, people then have their own way to handle it. For example, somebody I was just talking to said, oh man, you know, you've been talking to me about this for the last couple of weeks. And I just realized, realized now as we were talking that um, I think about every thought that comes to my mind. I hadn't realized that before. Um, I need to not, in, I, I need to not give energy to everything I think. Now that was their strategy, you see, but it came to them from an understanding um, around how they're using thought. So, to me, um, what I do help people with is just beginning to find that understanding really see that um, the way that they're using thinking is not helpful and that there are other ways for them to think about their situation. Beautiful. 
I love that word transcend, actually, you know, um, I've always thought of it as like ending the trance that we get caught in this, this trance. Oh, how neat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. So how did you, you know, you talk about people having, you know, a realization and that then it impacts their experience. How did you come to hear about the three principles and how has it, how did it impact you and how does it continue to impact you? Well, I had the traditional training to be a clinical psychologist here in the United States in North America. And um, so I was schooled in a lot of approaches to helping people psychologically. And so my era was like the 70s um, uh, of theories and approaches were, that were being created then. Um, and that's what I practiced. Um, and really, um, the, 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 the uh, experience that got me looking, um, although I was always open to learning, but uh, it was, it's really kind of funny, you know, um, uh, we, here I have the, 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 uh, the newspaper uh, delivered to me. I like to read the newspaper, but in, again, we're talking about that era. And um, I was looking forward to this Sunday paper, which is the large paper, you know, and has a lot in it. And it came late. And so I was calling up the paper and I was in this phone tree, you know, like and holding. And I just got really upset with that. I kind of banged the phone, you know, like the, and, you know, and, um, and then I thought, Oh my goodness, you know, my wife's sleeping, my young son of two years old was sleeping, and I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to get so easily upset. And so um, I talked with a former uh, supervisor of mine. He said, There's this man that's had an enlightenment named Sidney Banks, and he's got a seminar Thursday night. You should go to it. And um, so that's what got me looking is that I just really wanted to feel better and not get so upset and, and be reactive like that. So I went to the seminar and he was speaking about this understanding that we call the three principles. And I really had an insight. And uh, I saw, uh, I really did see something clearly about the fact that uh, our emotions and feelings, <clears throat> like those feelings I was having, are made up. They're created by the way we think. That's what I had a realization for. Uh, and in, you know, in an instant that came to mind. And then I had the thought, well, I don't understand that. But if I did, I knew I could be happy and my clients could be happy. And so, um, so that shifted me actually. And, you know, I had the good fortune to see uh, my patients every day and talk to them every day uh, around solving their issues in life. So when I went back to the clinic the next day, I realized this is what I needed to tell my patients, not any of the other approaches we had been working with. And starting there, this was like 1982, 
starting from there, um, I've been evolving in this understanding and the way I present it uh, to people from then on. There was like no, uh, this just, I just continued to learn more and more about this understanding that this enlightened man shared. And did you get more of an opportunity to, to work with Sidney Banks or to learn from him? And if so, oh, yeah. you know, how, oh, how, did yeah. that, how did that unfold? Um, so, um, again, you know, you, you just feel blessed looking back at these things. But I live uh, close to where I live now. I live in San Francisco, California, and I live a few miles south of the city now, the actual city. And um, like 20 minute drive from, from my um, home lived uh, George and Linda Pransky and they had visited Sid on Salt Spring Island uh, in 1976. So they had been learning from Sid for a while. And I knew George Pransky. In fact, he was there at that Sid seminar. So I approached him and um, we started to just hang out. So I would drive every Tuesday morning um, since that evening, I drove over to his house and we'd go get coffee and, and we would talk about the understanding, what we were doing with it, um, how we were using it in our practice. And then um, a handful of people in the area were interested too. So then we started to meet um, uh, monthly and then um, with George and Linda's connection to Sid, they brought him over to do a few seminars in the area. And when he came over for that, he met with, with us, this small group um, uh, for you know, an evening before the, the weekend seminar. Um, and then we formed a group of, of, um, of, of national uh, people who had been learning from Sid and um, then he would invite us uh, to meet with him maybe once every year or so and spend a weekend learning. Um, but he, would, he came over like several times just to the San Francisco Bay Area where we had um, those meetings with him. Um, and then we just learned together as a group, you know, kept that going, this group of us. Um, yeah, so that's how that happened. And, um, you know, there would be periodic telephone calls, but not often. But uh, those were um, uh, learning experiences too, uh, telephone calls with Sydney Banks. Beautiful. Oh, wonderful. So did he have a specific way of teaching the three principles or did, you know, did you just, how did it, um, how, did, how did that unfold? What, What's he, because there is no methodology that I can see behind it. It's, um, you know, it's an insight and realization model. You get your insights, you realize stuff, and that changes the direction of your experience. That's how it's worked with me and the people that I've worked with. So I'm just wondering whether it was just conversations or, you know, how specifically did, did it work? Yeah, so, um, so first, as we talk about realization, I think it's important for people 
um, who are participating in this podcast that we we can learn through realizations. It's a human capacity. Um, I think we've forgotten that that can happen. You know, people live and have insights or realizations, but they don't really know that you can uh, really learn and gain knowledge um, about the, your nature and the nature of life through realization learning. So it takes listening um, to um, uh, material, not intellectually, but quietly, uh, and let it kind of absorb and percolate within you. Um, now, Sidney Banks, um, he would just teach, uh, uh, he would just teach his understanding. He would just teach um, what he had realized for himself on this spiritual epiphany. And he would talk from there. And actually the first uh, three years or so, this is like maybe 82, 83 to 85, we, he would just talk about um, very spiritual um, understanding that he had. He would talk about, uh, you know, God, he would talk about thought. Um, he would talk about wisdom and the energy of the universe. That, those, that kind of formless presentations. It would be a small group of people that started to talk about how to share, what's important to share. Mm -hmm. So for example, again, George and Linda Pransky and I were hanging out together over the course of about two and a half years before they moved to uh, LaConnor, Washington. And um, we would talk about like what, what's valuable in the way we share. So at first, um, we were just trying to create a feeling in people, just talk so they got a good feeling. And then we thought that's what, how you go about it. That's what would work. Then we realized as we were thinking about this, that if, you if people just get a good feeling, they attribute it to something outside of themselves. They'll attribute it to coming to the seminar. They'll attribute it to reading the Bible. They'll attribute it to, uh, in those days, using crystals. So what we started to see was getting a good feeling wasn't enough. We had to tell people where their experience was coming from. So that was a big shift in our realization of how to share this, how to talk about it with people. We realized that the feeling is, is like very important and valuable, but we also had to tell people uh, how thought worked, you know, how uh, really that um, they were feeling better because of the way they were thinking and their experience moment to moment is a result of the way they're thinking. And it brought it back for people to look within themselves rather than outside of themselves. Mm. So um, the form around how to do it came from the people learning from Sid because we were the ones going out into the communities, you know, into various fields, uh, helping people understand this and and find their own well-being. Sid was writing books and, have, and giving seminars. 
and maybe we'll talk, would talk to a group of professionals and, and so forth. So he would really never vary from sharing deeply in the moment spiritually about whatever came to mind for him. Um, now, around 1985, um, he gathered all of us together and presented the principles. He started to share uh, um, uh, the principles themselves with us. And prior to that, he hadn't really taught principles, but in that year, oh, excuse me, he directed us toward the understanding of the principles. But again, you know, um, in the community, in the three principles community, the approaches to um, coaching, to mental health treatment, to other forms of health um, practices, the structure for how to share it really was developed within the people learning from Sid. Um, one of the things though that he would always tell us is that you, um, don't, you, you just wanna go and share from the feeling in you. Uh, you don't wanna have a, a planned uh, program of sharing, you know. Mm. But, um, but um, how to talk about the principles and, and uh, the best way to share them, for example, and how to uh, really structure um, a coaching session so that you really are sharing something that's important to your client, valuable to them, all came from us thinking about how to do that. Mm. So do you, it sounds to me that it was like a perfect uh, emergence of, you know, with the understanding um, that Sydney Banks shared with you and also the understanding that you brought, you know, with your experience of, you know, as a trained psychologist and, I, th I always think it's really brave, actually, having, you know, come from the medical model myself to actually introduce such themes um, in this area, because, you know, you talk about God or energy and, you know, it's I, I can imagine it being a minefield for most um, the way that the society or you know wants to view this thing it's it I, I i have great admiration for you to be able to you know bring that to people because it is important and yet it's almost um i don't know difficult it's almost made difficult for some reason i'm not sure why so how did you find that well so here's the thing um when i uh, that you know that evening i told you i had that insight but, so I went back to the me medical center, to the psych clinic to see my patients for Friday, Friday, five hours. What I realized, and now this is, this is why it's not brave. <laughs> what I realized was I really saw, I could not talk to, to people from the way I used to talk. It, I had to just share this. This was it. This was like really... I didn't know much, but if me and my patient or me and my clients could discuss it and talk about it together, we'd find something. So I saw that this is the only way that could be helpful to people. Mm. Now, um, I tried at first to bring it to the staff. We had 30 mental health professionals 
then psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, nursing. And I would do it during one of our weekly um, meetings. And um, I realized it wasn't going anywhere um, to, to do that. Cause I was sharing, I, I honestly, I was sharing about consciousness and, and, and some very spiritual uh, points, but I didn't have a grounding for it that well myself. So, um, so I stopped. And then what started to open up for other, to, to my being able to share to other practitioners was that one of my colleagues came up to me one day about four months after that first evening with Sydney Banks and saying, I've been watching you and you've changed and, um, and uh, you haven't gone back to your old way and I wanna learn what you're learning. So we had this kind of peer uh, consultation every Wednesday morning. So I invited her to meet with me and we would talk about it. And I had Sydney Banks tapes and, and then a few more psychologists joined us. And then it finally came to where we had um, eight psychologists meeting with me weekly, um, listening to Sydney Banks and talking about it. And it led, actually it led to um, two of the psychologists forming a depression program in the clinic and a program for women based on this understanding. The chief psychiatrist heard of this and uh, we started to talk and she wanted me to take her to one of the seminars in the area, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so we did that. And then she started her own groups uh, from her understanding. Mm -hmm. But to really see the, I don't know, the, how somehow uh, what, what you're speaking about comes out to people. So this group was meeting in uh, that Wednesday morning peer consultation. We would listen to tapes, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing we would all leave happy. People who were in peer consultation would all leave serious, you know, mm. talking about troubled clients and, and you know, and uh, we would always leave uh, happy. We would be laughing actually um, about, uh, I don't know, a few months later, you would hear people in the clinic saying, oh, there's the God squad. Wow. Okay. So you see, they caught on to something, right? Yeah. We didn't tell them we were, um, we were listening to tapes that were speaking about mind or God or the spiritual energy, mm. but they saw it. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Yeah. Um, so that went on for a good three years in the clinic and then yeah. people moved on and, um, it just didn't have the same energy after that group of people moved, moved on from the clinic and that chief of the department retired. And it just kind of shifted a bit in terms of how open uh, other, other practitioners were at that time, you know? Mm. Sounds like a, a really wonderful experience to be, you know, in that 
seeing something new and being able to share it with you know your patients and and those you know that you work with um so you know, that yep. was the thing too for people to know is that you know when you discover something like this knowledge that really has is contained in our consciousness now mm. and you discover it it's thrilling mm. it's thrilling so when i was talking about it with colleagues or with my patients it was a thrilling uh journey of discovery <clears throat> it was all about discovery and when it's in that uh consciousness that realm um it's just really inspiring and rewarding right mm. so there was a there was a thrill of the thrill of discovery for for that period of time mm. Lovely. So one of the things I really wanted to talk with you about was the listening component um, that, you know, lots of um, my peers and have, have attributed their understanding has deepened around listening because of you. So I'd love to hear more about that. What components, the importance of listening and how to listen or any anything that would really help in that arena um let's see so um the logic the logic of um the listening i'm describing um in the three principles understanding comes from the fact that and Sid, Sid said this, you know, he said, um, at some point you have to believe that you are guided in life by God. So I took that like, and this is over a course of time, right? Coming to this logic, that when you are listening, uh, and if you listen, as I described, quietly outside of your own personal thinking you are guided by mind you're guided um, in life if your listening is right you will you will uh, get thoughts of what's the next step to take you know and that and the logic here for the three principles coaches and mental health professionals is that you're going to listen in a way where you can be guide, let, let mind guide you. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, your clients are also guided by mind because you are all mind. Mm -hmm. So you're connected to one another spiritually. You are this energy. So um, that's the logic. And it took, it took a while to kind of move to that understanding um so there's the logic uh you're listening and 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 so it's in the coaching realm or the psychotherapy realm um that's the logic of listening to people is that you want to be in a place where uh you can follow uh the guidance of mind mm -hmm. so what does that look like well it looks like um, you're not, you don't want to be listening to you. 
you want to see, you want to let that energy that's um, a greater part of you run the show, so to speak, you know? Mm. So what aren't you doing? You're not, you're not like thinking about the upset you had leaving home that day. You're not thinking about, oh man, I got to get to the supermarket at the end of the day. Uh, you're not making assumptions about your uh, clients. Uh, you're not putting them into categories. Um, um, and any other things that you can be thinking about during the session, all of that you want to quiet down. So I call it listening beyond yourself. So you don't want you in the picture. When you reach this level of listening, you will, um, you will have no sense of yourself. You'll have no sense of yourself. You'll really be engaged with hearing your, um, your clients or, your or the people in your life, your partner, your children. Listening this way, you will see uh, that there's no thinking about you. You have no sense of you. Um, and so then you really hear the humanness of the other person. You really hear what they're up against you really can really know, know what might be missing that you can help them with. Mm. So that's the description of it. Um, but through, let's say an hour or hour, 90 minutes with someone, you're gonna have personal thinking. I'm gonna have Mark Howard thinking. Mm. But one of the beautiful things about this understanding is we could, we recognize it will occur to us that our thinking's in the way. Um, that's the guidance that I'm talking about of mine. So um, you'll see, oh my God, you know, I got caught up there. Okay, quiet down. You might just see quietly in yourself that, oh man, I started to think about this person's talking too long and I gotta end this session so I could pick up things for dinner, right? Then you'll write, oh, Mount Mark, you know, you're really caught up there. Okay, quiet down. That's what I always do, go back to quiet down. Um, so that's the experience. The experience really is, there's really in that moment of um, pure quiet, you're not aware of yourself. It's not like you lose yourself or anything like that. It's just mm -hmm. that consciously, you're not aware of you. If you're thinking about your life, you're aware of you, right? But if you quiet that, you're aware of the other person. And that's what you want to really hear. And if you listen at that level, then you know, you'll know you see things to do. Like uh, you might think, I'm not really getting this. I really need to tell that client, I'm not getting anything yet. Let's keep at it. You might ask questions. You might share a story. Uh, you might see that you're talking too long. Uh, or you might see something really insightful that they need to see and you offer it. Mm -hmm. And it's the same in, in, your, in your life outside of uh, your professional work. This listening just doesn't apply there. If you really listen deeply, you will see what your partner's up against right now. Uh, you'll see, you'll hear what they need. 
uh, you'll see that you have maybe overlooked something with them or you hurt their feelings. You'll just see all of this. So, um, so that's the listening piece that, um, you know, people in the three principles community really say that's something that I, they know me for. And it was right from the get go that I could um, really listen to this depth. It wasn't until we met together with these small groups of people that I, I really formed it into the logic because I was just following what Sid said that, you know, you're guided in life. There's a flow to life, live in the flow. Well, you know, I just transported that to the coaching session or, or listening piece, you know, does that make sense? Oh, that makes yeah, perfect sense. That's, I've, yeah, it's beautiful. You know what's nice too, Anne? It's this whole thing about where we started that there really isn't a method. It's an understanding that you get. You, you have some insights. And then um, you, you will just, it will just come to you that your thinking's off. It's, it's like really, it's really, uh, you know, I, I, grew, uh, I grew up in my training in having to have people um, find ways to know their thinking's off. But here, that when you understand where your experience is coming from, the way you're using thought, and you really get that, it will occur to you when you're off. Mm. Now, it may not happen right away. It may be later. It may be the next day, or it could be in a second. But you really want to have faith in that process that it will occur to you that you know you're 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 not thinking right. Mm. So um, I know that many times coming home in the evening from a day of work, I'll be driving home and things will occur to me about what I missed, um, you know, some things that I could have said things like that. So I'm um, not only seeing when I get caught up in my thinking, but I'm also seeing uh, more that I could uh, offer. Mm. Yeah, that reflecting back and seeing, yeah. Because that's certainly something well, that, yeah, go on. Well, it's funny, I don't even reflect. Mm. But I mean, you could call it reflection. I'm listening to you know, rock and roll music driving home. And <laughs> these things just come to me, you know, yeah. they, you know, you just start to realize things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'll sometimes hear that in myself, like, oh, I could have done that. And, but often there'll be the feeling that comes with it isn't one of peace. It's one of, oh, I, you know, I've still work to do or, you know, and I suppose that's all thinking do you have a difference or do you just, you know, I just find sometimes in my personal head that I can mm -hmm. be quite um, down on myself about not seeing it quick enough or why did I say that? Or why didn't I say that? All of this kind of can feel almost like a, you know, a rebuke of some description. Well, it's because you think um, you can do that. You think it's up to you. Mm. And um that's where we get into trouble. Me too. You know, when you think that I could have seen better when you really could only see what you were seeing in the moment. And now you're given 
some knowledge that um, wasn't there for you um, at that time. But really that self-criticism or uh, about noticing things that you missed really comes from you thinking uh, you're in charge, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I, you know, and, um, you know, you begin to learn that, okay, this work is an ongoing evolution of understanding and learning. Yeah. And um, you don't, you don't lay expectations on yourself when you could only do what you did. Mm. You know, you could only do a session at the, at the level at which you're thinking or at the level at which you're understanding. Later, you might reach a, maybe a higher level of understanding that gives you um, an overview where you could see some other things you could say and what you missed saying. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, again, you want to go back to the feeling of discovery and that um, being able to see your limits allows you to discover. And uh, you're always going to see something like that. And so you just, that's just part of this learning journey about how to become, you know, more and more effective and impactful and loving as a, as a professional. It's interesting, actually, the loving part as a professional, because I've come from a nursing background, spent 30 years in nursing, and it was almost, you know, considered that you're not supposed to love your patients or, you know, there should be a distance, this professionalism and all of that sort of stuff. And I've not found that very helpful at all. Um, in fact, you know, I loved the community nursing. I mean, not with COVID quite so much at the moment, but being able to, you know, have physical contact and hug somebody and, you know, that love and understanding as a component to helping somebody move forward or out of a situation that it's stuck because I've been brought up with this model of professionalism that you're not supposed to, you know, love, love and understanding doesn't really fit into the mix. And yet I see it as essential. How has that played out in your practice? How have you, you know, has that unfolded for you? Well, I've seen that as a, essential too. It, um, it calms people down. It connects people in rapport. Again, you know, um, you know, um, this is impersonal love. It's not a personal love where you're attracted to the person. It's impersonal love because both you and the other person are that energy. Um, so, of course, you're maintaining your professional responsibilities, but that doesn't mean that you can't have the feeling of, of, um, of love for a human being who might be suffering or having a really difficult time. And when they feel that from you, they're less resistant or defensive. They calm down in your presence. Lately, in the last two years, I no longer do that. I was just doing um, kind of a, a replacement psychologist position for the time before they filled the full-time position at Stanford University inpatient psychiatry unit. And it's really my first experience with people who were very, very seriously 
mentally troubled. I mean, in psychosis and having delusions and, and they would come up and talk with me in their delusion. And, um, and I looked, when I looked, I looked at them as I looked at all of my, my clients that they were connected together and my heart was out to them. And I just, um, I just had that feeling of love and, and connection. And uh, they would calm down. We would have a, a normal conversation. Um, and you could see that even if you, even if I was part of uh, somebody still troubled thinking, it would be with humor. It would be with a connection, you know. Uh, humor would come out of people, these patients, toward me. Um, they'd be walking down the halls. They were so anxious. They were walking halls. And they would say, hey, Mark, how's it going? You see? So um, that's just a story that um, if both of you are love, if both of you are the energy of impersonal love, um, um, living in that, sitting in that, uh, develops a deep rapport, mm -hmm. allows you to share with people where um, they're not uh, resistant to you or defensive. Mm -hmm. But remember, it's an impersonal. It's mm -hmm. not an attractive love, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that kind of personal love. That's, I think, where people get uh, confused about it. Yeah. If you sit knowing that person is mine, that may be another way to get to the feeling of it for you. Mm. You're, I'm sitting knowing that this person so troubled is walking the halls. They're so anxious. They're mine, like me. They're no different. Mm. It's just that uh, they have a misunderstanding around the way of using thought. They don't know about it. So they got caught up in really, really, really serious, distressful, painful thoughts. Mm. But I see them and, and me connected. We're the same energy. Yeah. So um, it's easy for me to care about them and have love. Mm. I have love for the nursing staff. And it was, I'm not talking about myself here, okay? I don't want to talk about my, it's not me, it's where I'm coming from. But um, as I was getting ready to leave, um, people started to tell me, we're going to miss you. You have a calming effect on the ward. You have a calming effect on our staff. I didn't see that because I was just in that place of loving, that loving place understanding place with everyone that I was interacting with, including the staff. Mm. So um, I, I knew I probably, I, I knew that I was uh, interacting with them in a way where we stayed connected and we, we worked through things and I could appreciate their points of view and really listen to them. And, um, and so they said, you know, they, they really appreciate that I was able to bring a calming presence. Oh, I can definitely see that with you, Mark, for sure. 
And I think, yeah, it 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 is seeing myself in others and that compassion that that, that brings. I love the way you put it of seeing, you know, them as mind or them as that energy of love. And I know from I'm so glad that I was introduced to this understanding because it's really informed my nursing practice. And I could see I had one particular patient that before this understanding, I could get caught up in their um, personality or the way that they presented. Mm -hmm. And then the more my understanding deepened, I, I just let go of all the thinking that I had around them and just my heart went out to her. And from that moment, it just, it was a completely different relationship. And we had fun, we had a laugh. And before it had been kind of like, yeah. you know, she's always complaining, you know, all of this sort of stuff. That's what yeah. I saw and that's what I experienced. Yeah. And then when I woke up to this and this understanding and saw her with love and with compassion from, you know, as an impersonal, it just, it was just wonderful. It was just wonderful. And, um, she was then willing and able to look in this direction as well. And I know that it saved her yeah, a world of pain. I think if they get that feeling with you, you can then propose, uh, you know, a direction that might be helpful to them. And they're right there. You know, it is kind of that experience of humor. Uh, it is kind of the experience of having fun. Um, uh, rather than seriousness, you know? Mm. So can you imagine, you know, that this happened frequently on the ward here on the psychiatric unit that, you know, people really suffering, uh, we can have a laugh together. Yeah. We could have a laugh together, you know? And, and um, it's so funny too, that people will say to me, you know, I'm sorry, uh, people are very, very tangential you know, um, and they say, I'm sorry, Mark, I know I'm going all over the place. I'm sorry about that. You know, just really see that and, mm -hmm. you know, be able to connect with me. And uh, I could say, oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, any way we can talk about that together where that might help a bit mm -hmm. in you not going all over the place. Mm -hmm. So you could see that, um, that, that, you can touch uh, a part of hum a, a part of a, a human being that is there before uh, the illness, let's say. Mm. Mm. And that's what this feeling of love or compassion or deep understanding provides. Mm. And um, uh, people will speak from that. Now, that may not at first, be something they stay in but it's amazing that it surfaces mm. if you see this in people you will expect it to surface you will be thrilled when it comes about somebody's joking with you somebody's saying they're sorry for being so um, uh, disorganized mm. um, and then you can meet them there and offer something mm. Beautiful. And, and I'd love that actual the, the when you talk about the seriousness, because I've, I've found I know when I've got caught up in the seriousness that I've completely missed the point. And rather yeah. than seeing this life as a game, um, 
because one of the first real insights when I was that I felt like somebody had given me the um, cosmic joke, the punchline to the cosmic joke. I couldn't really explain the joke or how the, but the, it just, I just could see the funny side of everything. Um, so how do, how do people kind of recognize that the seriousness, because sometimes, you know, you know, from a nursing point of view, you know, if I'm, if I'm dealing with people that are, are perhaps dying or, you know, everyone can get really serious about it. And how do, how do you gently guide people out of the seriousness of life and back into to seeing it more uh, from a separateness? So they're not so caught up in the thinking and, and believing it to be true. Well, again, you know, um, it's about, so there are things that are, are important to attend to. You might call them they're serious, you know, but there are things that are important to attend to. Um, but the state of seriousness is um, not useful. It's a misunderstanding. It's made up. Yeah. Now you have to know that. So if you want to be of service to people, it's going to be a moment to moment call because uh, you, you don't want to lead with uh, educating them about seriousness. You don't want to teach first. You want to listen first. Mm -hmm. So in terms of that question, if you uh, come upon a group of people that are serious about a patient dying, you don't want to start talking. You want to listen. Mm -hmm. You want to let the, your listening guide you into how you're going to talk about seriousness mm. what has happened a lot for people is they love the principles you know and so um they talk about that for everybody's coming in at different levels of understanding and consciousness and they're talking about their understanding to everybody and sometimes it doesn't land well and so you don't start with uh sharing um, you start with listening and your listening will guide you in terms of how to share this uh, uh, understanding around seriousness for that particular family, that particular group. It's going to be different every time because uh, you, when you listen, you'll see what people can hear. You'll see if you even should share something about that. But um, you'll see how you can make an offer that can help people in their seriousness. And it can only come from the listening you do, really. Um, if you're not in that listening we talked about earlier today, you're going to make it up yourself. Yeah. And when you make it up yourself, you're not going to hit the mark. Mm. You're not. It, it, you're, doing, you're making an assumption of what people are up against, how you should frame it, whether you should talk about it at all, you know, mm. what, and so, so you always want to be guided by listening. Mm. So I had a, a person who was learning to be a coach and uh, she would always gather with mothers on, um, this is pre-COVID, mm -hmm. um, she would gather with mothers waiting for the kids to come out of school. 
and the mothers would ask things and uh, and she would share and she would tell me, I'm telling them stuff, but they don't seem to really care about that. They don't really seem, that doesn't really seem to make any difference for them. So I asked, well, do you um, listen to them? Are you curious about why they are asking that? Do you really listen first? Oh, no, no, I, I don't even think about listening, you know? So, um, so once um, she really appreciated listening, she, when she was there with the mother, she was able to really hear them. Now, when she heard them, she told me, what I said was completely different than what I thought I should say. Mm. And people were thanking me. So it's just a, another example. Mm, of, um, that's lovely. Yeah. Well, you want to listen, always go listen first. Now, one thing we didn't talk about with listening is that mm -hmm. you want to be curious with people. You want to wonder about why they're telling you this and why they're thinking about life that way. Why are they doing that in life? You're kind of exploring with them until you hear something from you that you could offer. Mm. So, so um, you, when you go in like that in your work, you want to listen to the group or to the person uh, and let that guide you. Mm. Beautiful. Well, I feel that that's a great place to to finish um, today's podcast. I've really enjoyed. I've my biggest takeaway is that that guidance that if I'm listening, mm. that's really what stood out for me with this conversation. Oh, uh, beautiful. So thank you so much for your time. I know that. Um, I'm just wondering how, you know, if people have enjoyed this conversation and want to find out more about you or how to work with you. Um, I know you've uh, the three principles Institute. Uh, it's a way of getting hold of you, but you know, what's going, what uh, programs are you offering at the moment or anything in particular that you would like to share with the audience? Yes. Yeah, so now I'm just doing um, usual one-to-one uh, -one, uh, mentorship. I just started the, um, one of the month, the year long uh, exploration of one of Sid's books, The Missing Link, mm -hmm. with a group of people. Um, I'm actually putting together with another person a, a coaching program uh, with the three principles. But if people want to get a hold of me, mm -hmm. uh, just email me at, at drmarkhoward.com, DR, the abbreviation for doctor, drmarkhoward.com. Uh, I'm sorry, it's Dr. Mark Howard at comcast.net, at comcast.net. What I'll do, um, Anne, is I'll send you the listening audio I made for practitioners and you could distribute it to uh, participants uh, as you like. Oh, brilliant, thank you so much. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, it's been an honor and a privilege. I've yeah, got so much from this. Thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah, thank you. And thank you for having me. It's been uh, a joy to talk with you and connect with you this way. Yes. I'm so grateful for the technology that we were able to do this. And I'm living yeah. in Sydney, Australia, and there you are in, 
in uh, America and able to do this. So I've just got to work out how to pause the recording.